Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning again. Welcome to Coastal. Uh, my name is Ryan. I get the privilege of uh, spending the next little bit of time with you, kind of diving into uh, God's Word. And we are in week four of our series, uh, The Journey, kind of you know, going through the, the life of Jesus, all these big, awesome, miraculous events uh, that culminate with our celebration on Easter Sunday. So we're just loving the series. Hope you are as well. We've looked at a couple of uh, great stories so far in the Bible. Um, we kicked off with uh, the baptism and temptation of Christ. Um, we looked at uh, turning water into wine, always a crowd favorite, right? Um, we've also last week looked at the encounter between Christ and Nicodemus. And so this week we're going to look at another popular story most of us probably know, and that is the woman at the well. Right, the Samaritan woman, found in John uh, chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible or the Bible app, you can go ahead and work on pulling that up. Um, like I said, many of us have probably heard this story. Most of us, if you spent any time in church, probably know something about this story. And so the goal today uh, is to kind of you know, look at it, break it down, and see what we can really glean about who Jesus uh, really is. Like what little nuggets uh, can we pick out from this story, which could really you know, be a series by itself. It's so big, so much stuff inside of it. Uh, but I want us to spend some time this morning, read through it, and then go back and try and, you know, break down different parts of it to learn some stuff that uh, are about who Jesus really is that maybe we haven't thought about, or at least not in the context of this story. And so um, right now this morning, we're going to do story time, right? I'm going to read through the story. Um, I don't, it's not going to be on the screens. That's just as I want you to sit back and listen to it. I think sometimes uh, when you just listen to something instead of trying to read it or follow along, you might be able to pick out something different or, or maybe something strikes you in a different way than it normally would. And so I'm going to read all of it. Sit back, uh, relax, don't fall asleep though. Um, John 4, starting in verse 1, says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one now you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with her, or with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So a woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can he be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Wow, so nice long story, but it's so much that can really be uh, unpacked from all of these different verses. And again, our goal is to kind of pick apart little pieces that speak to the nature of Jesus, right? We want to see uh, what this story tells us about the DNA of Christ, and as we begin to break it down, there's one thing I want you to write at the top of your, um, your outline there. I kind of put it, this whole story, this whole thing into context. We see this throughout the entire Bible, every single story in the Bible. And that's that Jesus is the Savior. I go ahead and write, Jesus is the Savior. And again, that will come into more uh, context as we get through this story. But Jesus is the Savior. And now what you might notice as we read through, um, read through this, this parable uh, the woman at the well, the first thing we have to note are there are some extreme, like, uh, I don't know, cultural oddities, right, that we might find in the story that don't make sense in the context of the time period of the day. Um, first off, the Bible said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Right, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. It doesn't sound that weird, but when you think about it, like, when you understand that Jews dislike Samaria and Samaritan people so much that they actually would go out of their way to go around Samaria. They didn't like them that much. Right, that'd be like us wanting to go to Virginia, and we really don't like North Carolina, so we're going to go through Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, right, all the way around. We don't like North Carolina that much. That's kind of the same culture and relationship that the Jews had with the Samaritans at the time. Right, but instead of doing what was customary, right, instead of you know, going all the way around, the Bible says that, that Jesus went straight north, straight into Samaria. Right, and it wasn't just himself. Right, he took his disciples with him, kind of put them in this awkward you know, cultural situation as well. And why is that? We see in the Bible, it's because he knew that he had somewhere specific that he needed to be. He knew he needed to be right in the middle of Samaria for a reason. The second cultural oddity that we can kind of uh, pick out is that this woman is at the well uh, at the wrong time of day. Right? It was customary for women to wake up early, to go take their water jug to the well, to fill it with water, really before the sun even came up. And they did this not just to get water, but it was kind of like the, the customary women's meetup time, right? Kind of the fellowship, you know, gossip at the water fountain. No, it's like the gossip at the well, right? They get together, you know, how's Billy doing? How's Tommy doing? Did you see what Susan did, right? Like, it was kind of just the, the little customary hangout for these women. And so they would do all this, and they would, they would get back home before it even, the sun even came up, right? Because it's the Middle East, and when the sun comes up, I'm sure it's hot, right? And so, so this woman has not taken part, you know, but has avoided all of this, Avoided all of this custom, and, and again, why is that? Well, the Bible tells us why. Four husbands and now a new sugar daddy, right? I mean, she's, she's working her way through, and t- today, sadly, that sounds pretty normal, right? She would, you know, back in, or nowadays, she would probably have her own reality show on VH1 to be like, I don't know, like, you know, Housewives of Samaria or something, you know, and, and she'd be a millionaire by Tuesday, but, but back then, that would have gotten her killed, that reputation and those things that she did. Right, so she's got this, this, this scarlet letter that she doesn't want anyone to have to see, and so she sucks it up, she, you know, she deals with the heat, and goes and gets her water at the wrong time of day. 
And then the third thing that I found kind of odd uh, culturally, and this might just be me, it might apply to you, but uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not so much culturally, just something to note. Like when you think of Jesus, at least, you know, the picture that's kind of portrayed of Jesus, he's this loving, you know, kind of hippie, long hair, hugs, peace kind of dude. Right? At least in my mind, he got kind of savage in this story. Right? This woman, when we read it, she starts laying all of her stuff out there. Right? She says, Jesus, give me this living water. Jesus tells her this water makes you never thirst again. She says, you know, give it to me. I need it. Right? Give me this water. And for those that haven't had enough coffee this morning, we're not actually talking about water. Right? This water gives you the peace you need, the strength you need, uh, the support, the forgiveness, the grace. This, this living water is all that you need. And she says, you know, give it to me, Jesus. I need it. I have, these, I have this past. I have these, these issues that I need taken care of. Right? I can't come out in the morning with the other women because of my shame. Right? And what does Jesus say? He says, go call your husband. Like, Dang, Jesus, right? Like, he didn't really have to do her like that. Right? She says, I have no husband. He says, I know. You've had five. Right? Now your new boy toy isn't your husband. Like, at least in my mind, it sounds kind of harsh. Right? A little, a little bit rough. Like, the Bible says that she said, give me this water. And when you know it's backed by the shame and the guilt that she had to be feeling, you know, she was probably like almost pleading for the water. There were probably some tears involved. She was getting all choked up, right? And that sounds harsh when Jesus says, go get your husband. But he was doing it intentionally. God is a loving, Jesus is a loving God. And what he is doing here is bringing her innermost struggles and shame, something that he knew was just eating her from the inside out. And he does this, and he brings it out. And why? Because he's the only one that can heal it. The only one that can take away her pain and her shame. And so here's this woman that has put all of her effort you know, into, into hiding the shame, hiding what she's done. This woman is literally defi- uh, defying cultural norms of the time so that she doesn't have to face the repercussions of her past. Does that sound like anyone you might know this morning? Right? And so she gets met with Jesus, and the first thing he does is just poke right into the worst part of her. Right? And being the Savior, you know, the, being the all-knowing God of grace and love, he just pulls it out, and he puts it right on the table in front of her to begin that process of healing. He does this no matter how much she tries to hide or get away from it. And I feel like that's a pretty good example of a lot of us today. You know, it's funny how when you read the Bible, it kind of does that sometimes. It actually gets a little relatable sometimes. Right? We do the same thing. We try to hide from the things in our life that we perceive as shameful. Right? We try to hide you know, from the things that, that will disgrace us or cause us to look bad, whether it's to other people or to God. You know, we do whatever we can to hide. We go to whatever place makes us feel safe and, and we think protects us from the judgment of others. And what happens is so often these places that we go to to hide or these things that we do to try and hide become these, these hurdles to us knowing God and then fully experiencing the healing power that he's actually trying to give to us in the first place. Like, it's funny how we try to hide these things about him or about ourselves. Like, like I'm going to push down this, like this part of me, so, so Jesus, Jesus will never see. Like, he doesn't need to know that part about me. He can see the part about me going to, to church on Sunday and maybe a life group throughout the week, but he doesn't need to you know, see the part where I get drunk on Monday or I'm unfaithful on Tuesday or, you know, God forbid, what he sees what happens on Friday night. Right? It's funny we do this. You know, clinical psychology actually has two kind of um, definitions or categories 
for relationships, right? They say that there's knowing about and there's knowing. Like I can know you really well, really easily, right? Being a youth pastor has a little bit of uh, some perks sometimes, little advantages, right? Like I could shoot a text to a couple of high schoolers and I could say, what do you know about this person? Literally in 10 minutes, I can know your name, age, relationship status, where you went to school, the name of your mother's best friend in college and what you had for lunch last Tuesday, right? The internet is a crazy place. And so I can know all about you. I can know more facts about you than you do. And clinical psychology defines this knowing about or this impersonal relationship as being able to recognize, you know, and then smoothly engage in a conversation with you. Right after I get the, you know, the scouting report from my investigators, I can easily walk up to you and say, you know, hey, Janice, you know, how's Tom doing? Tom's obviously the husband, or how's Tommy and Sarah, the kids, like, you know, how was Chick-fil-A last Tuesday? Or they got a new milkshake, you know, like, I can easily engage in that conversation. I can know all about you, but I don't know you. In psychology, a personal relationship, you know, actually knowing someone is having access to and knowing private information and unseen things. Right? That's like me sitting down with you face to face and learning about the struggles you face every day. You know, looking you in the face and learning about the highs and the lows that you're experiencing. You know, the worries that you have about your kids or your job or your relationships. Also learning about your dreams, right? The dreams that you have, the things that you've been praying for. That's knowing you. And so what we do, right, on our end, we oftentimes we have this impersonal relationship with, with Jesus, right? You know, we know a little bit about him. We know kind of what he did in his life. We know his mother's name was Mary and Joseph, you know, the names of his 12 best friends, right? We know about him, and we take this relationship or this idea of a relationship and we project that onto him, right? Knowing full well that that's not actually how Jesus works, right? He knows us. He knows the struggles we face, the shame that we have, the pain that we experience, the things we are worried about, you know, all these things. He knows. He knows the things we're excited about. He knows the hopes and the dreams that we have, right? And we're fine sharing those with him, Right? I mean, he can help us get those things, yeah, the good stuff, but all those bad things, right? I, you know, I, I'd rather just hide that. I can deal with that on my own later. But again, that's not who Jesus is. Right, we see in this story, he's clearly the one that we need to share this stuff with. He's the one that can go in like a surgeon and just slowly carve away all of the hurt and despair and all these bad things in our life that are just bringing us down. He is the healer, and he knows us. We can't surprise him. We for sure can't shock him, even though we try. Right? Um, my wife does this all the time, and I don't know, you maybe know someone who does this too. Uh, it happens to me a lot. It might just be me. Like, I'll have the story that I want to tell her, right? And I'll be telling her the story, and honestly, like, I, this events either happened like 30 times before, or I've told her 30 times, and I've just forgotten because I do that, Right? And so I'll tell her the story like it's the greatest thing in the world. And then she'll just kind of look with me with, the, with that face. And husbands, you know that face, right? And then in just the most monotone voice, she'll go, wow, let me put my shocked face on. <laughs> right? Does anyone else ever know? Right? I, I have to believe God does that sometimes too. Right? Like if you're praying, I'd be like, you know, God, I, just got, I need forgiveness because, you know, I, I told my wife I was too busy to go to lunch today, but I actually went to Taco Bell, ate a whole Taco 12-pack. Right? Came home. She asked what I wanted for dinner. I said, nothing. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not feeling too good. Right? I need this forgiveness. And you know, God's like, 
no, you didn't. Like he doesn't already, let me put my shocked face on, right? That's how we treat God. We treat him like just another dude that can periodically give us something we want instead of the, you know, the loving Savior who can give us every single thing that we need. We treat him like, just like every other impersonal relationship we have. Because when we get down to it, when you really get down to it, God operates on just an, another level, right? A deeper level. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of us. Right? That scares us. When God starts operating on a heart level, there's straight just straight truth to what he is saying. Right? We saw Jesus with the woman. He wasn't afraid to call out her, her heart issues, her real issues. But again, that's because he's the only one that can fix it. He's the only one. If we look back at our story, uh, it keeps going. It actually goes into kind of my favorite part I was talking about earlier. Right? It's, it's been laid out there. This woman says, you know, give me the living water. We think she's probably worked up. And Jesus says, go get your husband. Woman says, I don't have one. Jesus says, correct. You've had five, right? And the one you're with now isn't your husband. And her response is, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Again, I just picture like savage Jesus coming out right there, right? Like, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And he just goes, you know, good job. Didn't think you were going to get that one, right? Again, I'm sure Jesus has way more class than that. I'm just kind of projecting my internal movie here. But, but she keeps going. She, you know, this is the classic you know, human response. Right, we all do this, right? All of her issues have been laid out in front of her, her past struggles, you know, where she's been, what she's done. There's probably some tears involved. She's all in her feelings. It's just welling up inside of her, and what does she say? Verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we got to worship. What's up with that? Right? Like, nice deflection, Samaritan woman. Right, it's something we all do. You know, you start getting your feelings. Real issues are being brought up. Conflict is approaching. Change could be starting to happen. And what is our standard response? Deflection. Right? Our standard response is deflection. You see it all the time. Right? Wife comes home. You know, says, hey, honey, did you, did you get that dry clean today? Or, or did you pick up those packages? Or, you know, did you call the place I needed to? Husband's response while looking at his phone. Did you know elephants are the only animal that can't jump? right? True story there, but again, deflection. That's our response, and this woman is no different, right? Jesus doesn't let her get off that easy, though. In verse 21, it says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's saying it doesn't matter. None of that is going to be relevant here in a minute. After I die, rise from the dead, and come back to take you home, where you worshiped won't matter. Right, but the condition of your heart, that will matter. The way you let me in to, to heal you and work on you, that will matter. And that's tough for a lot of people because there's, there's a true difference in there, right? Like in culture nowadays, uh, transparency is a really big deal. Right? You know, being transparent is almost like the cool thing, you know, like being authentic and, or just being me. Like, we, transparency, we can get down with that. But being vulnerable, again, that's tough for a lot of people. Right, what God's doing in this story is he's calling this woman into a state of vulnerability so that he can, in turn, you know, heal her right, of everything that is, in fact, causing her to not want to be vulnerable. He said, it doesn't matter where you worship. It keeps going, but the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He's saying true worship doesn't have a location. It has a purpose. True worship doesn't have a location. It has a person. We worship the Father in spirit and truth because we know who he is. We know what he has done and what he is going to continue to do. None of that other stuff matters. But again, the story keeps going. Right? Jesus tells her all of this, lays this truth out in front of her, shows her, shows her all of this, and tells her what can be done for her. And again, she's so smart, right? It's her response, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Right, she's saying like, yeah, like, okay, you know, but this other dude is coming soon and he's going to tell me, like, he's going to tell me the truth. Like, I'm just trying to find a place to worship. I'm not sure where you're talking about. Like, like not sure where spirit or truth is. Is that west of Samaria? Like, like I'm, I'm, my mountain's right over there. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to worship. And, you know, all the stuff you said sounds good. Not sure how you know about my five husbands, but the Messiah is coming. He's going to set it all straight. And then, you know, Jesus just, you know, like, just winds up one more time, right? Savage Jesus is going to lay it down one more time. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's right. The bomb goes off, right? Like, you know she's just shook. And Jesus didn't just say, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, Christ, that's me, or, you know, I'm that guy. He says, I who speak to you am he. Right? You know, that's like the God, Mufasa, coming out of the clouds voice, right? I'm sure it was just for effect, but... But it's true. He's saying, I am the one. I am the one you're waiting for. The one sent to save everyone is me. And this is where the story actually takes a turn, right? This is where it changes. This is where the woman's life changes forever. And it's an amazing example of how our life can change. Let's wrap up the story real quick. It keeps going and says we are actually, you know, different things happen in and we, as we read, we almost get put in another awkward, you know, situation, right? At least the disciples do. They get put into another kind of culturally odd situation. It's verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or who, why are you talking with her? Right, so one thing you have to understand that didn't happen during this time period was an unmarried man and woman sitting together by themselves in the middle of the day, at a well, having a private conversation, let alone a Jew and a Samaritan. Right? It just didn't happen. Culturally, it was wrong. It was incorrect. It was honestly just awkward. And so Jesus' disciples, they're still living in the time period, right? So culture kind of applies to them and what they think might be weird. So they walk up and they see the situation and they're just like, uh, you know? Right? Like here's Jesus sitting here with a woman, and not just any woman, but one who's known for getting around. Right? And so I'm sure they're just as confused as can be. Right? They probably have their, their real shocked faces on, right? But the Bible is clear. It says, it says they marveled that he was talking with her, right? They were shocked, they were confused, they were dumbfounded. But the Bible says that they don't say a thing. Nobody questions it at all. And that's because they know. They know it may not be turning water into wine. It may not be healing a blind man or, or a paralytic getting up and walking. Right? It may not be feeding 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. 
But a miracle is taking place here. A life is being forever changed. And that's something that's really important to note uh, in this story. Right? For a lot of people, and this could be you, I think you read the Bible and you see all these miracles, you see these miraculous events happening that are the journey in the life of Jesus. And all these crazy things that happen. And you think, it, that doesn't apply to me. I, like, I, don't have a, I don't have this terminal disease. I'm not a paralytic and I need you know, to get up and walk. I don't have 5,000 friends that I need to feed with you know, a little bit of bread and, and you know, some fish. I'd like you to turn you know, all my water into wine, but, but I, like, I don't need that. Right? But what if, what if your miracle's a little different? Maybe you just have a past that needs worked on. Maybe your miracle is forgiveness. Maybe your miracle is getting rid of some shame. Maybe your miracle is a peace about your life. Maybe it's just getting a little bit of help in one little area of your life. Maybe that would be a miracle for you. Miracles don't have to be some, you know, skies splitting, blind man seeing, paralytic, getting up and walking, someone coming back from the dead type of event. Maybe for you, a miracle is just a small little thing that to everyone else doesn't seem significant, but to you changes everything. That's what we just saw happen here. To everyone else, the self-forgiveness of this woman, the hope that she gets may not be such a big deal. But to this woman, at this well, it changes everything. And we see the results happen. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now again, you have to think about that. This is the same woman who is known for jumping from man to man. The same one that was out at the well in the middle of the day because she's too ashamed to face the other women in what she's done. Now she's running up to everyone saying, come see a man. You know what they're all thinking. We've seen plenty of your men, Susan. We've seen plenty of them. What happened to Bill? How'd you get rid of him so fast, right? But guess what? She doesn't care. Do you see that difference from that morning to that afternoon? From that morning where she was too ashamed to go get water to that afternoon where she was running up to everyone in town boldly and without care of what she looked like, saying, come see this man who may be Christ. What's the difference? It's Jesus. It's Jesus performing a miracle in her life. Jesus changing lives, that's the difference. And honestly, that's what our life can look like when we allow him to work in us. Right? When we become vulnerable and admit our faults and our weaknesses and our struggles, when we lay them out before him, when we say to Jesus, when we say to Jesus, help, miracles happen. Life change happens. When we say to Jesus, help, miracles happen. When we just say to, to Jesus, I need your help, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Miracles happen. And it's not even, you know, life change just for us. If you jump to verse 39 in the passage, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior. 
the Savior of the world. How's that for a miracle? Right? The woman who is that very day so low on the social and cultural totem pole in that town that she had to hide all morning, she couldn't even get water without getting a sunburn, right? is now the same testimony. Her testimony is now the same one, right? the, the same testimony that caused her to be ashamed and guilt and hide from these people. That's the same one that is now bringing people to Christ. You know, it's crazy. It says people from the town believed because of her testimony. To me, there's no clearer example of who Jesus is or how much power he has. Literally, hours before, what this woman had done was a point of shame and guilt. And through his love and grace and mercy and redemptive power, those same weaknesses are now being used to save lives. I start off this message by telling you to write down who Jesus is, right? Jesus is the Savior. He's the savior of the world. Yes, but I feel like to truly understand what the story is telling us about the nature of Jesus, we have to make it personal. We have to take it from an impersonal relationship to a personal one. And maybe that's the step for you this morning. Right, we have to look at it as a personal story, not just an impersonal, right? like, like a le- not just a lesson learned, but an insight into our life. That's when it's working, and so that's the choice for you. You know, maybe you've already, you already know Christ, and you know, you know what he's done for you, what he is doing for you. And so what I want you to do is just scratch out the Savior, and you can put my personal Savior. That's when the game changes, right? Jesus goes from the Savior to my personal Savior. And now maybe that's, that hasn't been you yet, but this morning you are ready to make that decision and accept Christ into your life, and I, I invite you to make that change as well. You can scratch it out and put my personal Savior. Because we just saw it in this story. Right? Jesus using the worst parts of someone in order to bring out the best in uh, others. Right? So the question becomes, what can God do for and through you? Right? You have to recognize this. We are... We are all the woman at the well. Every single one of us is this woman at the well. When Jesus came to this woman at the well, he said, go get your husband. He knew what he was doing. The woman knew what he was doing. That was literally the most shameful, painful, most embarrassing part about her, about her life. And Jesus just dug right into it. Jesus met her at the well. He went straight into Samaria, defying cultural norms for a reason. And he's trying to do that for all of us. Where is Jesus meeting you today? Where is the spot in your life where Jesus is trying to, to get in and work through and heal? Like what part of your life is he trying to show you needs work? How about this? What mistakes are in your past that need healing? Right? What mistakes need forgiveness? What things going on in your life right now need being brought to light and healed? What do you need to be vulnerable about? I think a lot of us, we have that, you know, maybe something that pops into our mind real quick. All right, so you've got that. You've got this thing that you need to be vulnerable about. Now here's a drastically different question with that same answer. What can God use in your life to save others? All right, what bad thing have you done that God can redeem for good? What hurt or pain have you experienced that, that could bring redemption 
hope or, or peace to someone else. We all have things that we wish we hadn't done or you know, wish that we weren't still doing, yet we did and, and still are doing. We're all at a different spot here. But when we make it personal, even if we're unsure about you know, this, this whole thing, if we just try and make it personal, when we take the story of the woman at the well personally and see that that's what God is trying to do for us, we get to understand who God is to us. He's our personal Savior. So let's pray for that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come here this morning and, and dive into your word and, uh, as John Ford, and learn about uh, your encounter with this woman at the well. God, help us to see it not just as another story in the Bible that we may know from childhood or early on, but help us to see it as a personal story that relates to our life in, in more ways than one. Just help us to, to look at it and, and know that we all have different things going on in our life. We all have different points in our, in our past that may represent shame or guilt or, or just unhappiness, loneliness, depression, whatever it may be. We all have these things going on, whether it's in our past or right now, God. Just help us to know you are the healer. You are the one that's going to come in and bring those things to light and go to work healing them. And it may be uncomfortable for us. We're not used to, you know, to operating on this, on this heart level, this deeper level. Let's just try to keep things at almost an impersonal you know, relationship. But just help us to be open to you. Help us to be opening to a personal relationship with you where, where you not only know about us, but we know, we know you. We have a relationship with you. We have trust in you and faith in you. And God, again, we're all in different parts of our life. And some of us know you and have that relationship. But God, some of us are just making that decision this morning. And if that's you, you can just pray, God, I'm ready to accept you. I'm ready to know you. I'm ready to have a relationship with you that is deeper than any other relationship I've ever had. I'm ready to call you, my Father, my own personal Savior. I accept what you did on the cross for me and dying for my sins. I accept that you are still working for me each and every day. Everything that I face, you are at the center working for good. Help us to see this as a personal story of our, in our life pray for everything that you do. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.